0: You know, as men, sometimes we feel guilty, I think. We feel like, okay, we need to provide in a certain way for our families, or we need to keep this focus, right? And we forget that you can provide well for your family, and you can have a focus and accomplish great things while also living a great life and having fun along the way. I'm Clint Hoops, and this is the Unrivaled Man Podcast. The Unrivaled Man is where we help businessmen like you be the unrivaled leader in their work and home. We're revealing the perspective you've been missing to upgrade your identity and become better husbands, fathers, family men, and business owners. Let's get started. Welcome to the Unrivaled Man podcast. Thanks for joining me. I am very excited to introduce my guest for today, James Quandall. He is an entrepreneur, author, performance coach, and host of the James Quandall Show. He has led teams for nearly two decades, including two at Fortune 1000 companies, and has coached hundreds of driven individuals to success. James's agencies help natural product brands sell more on Amazon and support authors in producing and launching best-selling books. James, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Clint. I really appreciate that you invited me. Excellent. Well, James and I have met recently, and it's just been fun. I've been able to listen to your podcast and get a little feel for your background. So I'm I'm excited. I really would love, as we get started, for some of my listeners to hear a little bit more about your story and and who you are. So share a little bit with us. Yeah, so I have listened to episodes of your show and I know that you talk
1: a lot about leadership. And so my credibility there comes from working at two different companies in a management capacity, leading teams of a hundred or more people. And I did that for just over 15 years. And then one day in 2016, I was sitting and I was like, okay, do I want to do this for the rest of my life? I was working 50 or 60 hours a week. I took two or three vacations a year, just short little trips, and then didn't have a lot of balance, didn't have a lot of friends, wasn't working out, was saving a lot of money, moving up the ladder, but that was really it. I didn't have what you would call balance. And I said, no, I don't wanna do this for the next 50 years. And then I had the thought, if I don't want to do this for the next 50 years, why would I do it for the next five? And believe it or not, I, I had just finished reading Tim Ferriss's book, The 4-Hour Workweek. I was listening to a lot of entrepreneurial podcasts. And I said, hey, you know, I've learned a lot working in retail for 15 years. I think I could start a business and run a business on my own. I've always been entrepreneurial. I've had all these different side businesses and So I put a a date on my calendar and it was quitting day. And with no plan, except I was going to quit that job, move to South Carolina and start completely over on that date. And I did it. I walked into my boss's office on quitting day and said, hey, John, I need to talk to you today. I was like sick to my stomach. I'm like, what am I doing? I've worked almost a decade at that company to build my credibility and to move up the ranks and I'm like we need to talk and he said all right have a seat I sat down and I'm like I just got to pull it out I'm like I have to quit he's like why do you have to quit I'm like yeah you know I just need to do something different and he's like well what are you going to do I said well, I don't really know and I just know I'm going to move to South Carolina and I'm going to start a business and I'm just going to figure it out and I was so scared he was going to scold me or tell me I was insane and I was just teetering. He could have probably talked me out of it at that point. Exactly. I had almost no faith in myself at that point. (laughs) I was almost like, come on, talk me out of it. But he didn't, he encouraged me. He said, James, he goes, I'm really proud of you. He said, someday I'd be honored to work for you. I think you're gonna do great things. And he was like, we're gonna make sure you get all your PTO time so you have more of a runway. Typically, you weren't paid out any PTO time at the end of your career. You were just kind of surrendered it. So he was going to make sure I got paid for those three or four extra weeks. And I moved to South Carolina and I did exactly what I was said I was going to do. It was much more difficult than I anticipated. I did not know anyone here, didn't have friends, didn't have connections, didn't know what business I want to start. I just knew that I had
0: a calling for something else and I had to go find it. It's funny, sometimes you hear people that have those kind of stories and and it usually ends up with, and it all just was perfect and butterflies and rainbows and everything was great. No. But, but like you said, I imagine it wasn't, right? We're getting that started. It was not
1: pleasant or rainbows or perfect in any way. First of all, it wasn't like I had no plan. I had a year's worth of savings. I knew for one year I could basically live with no income. So I worked really hard for a long time and saved a lot of money but that started dwindling very quickly. Like when you aren't having any income, your cash starts to go away very fast. And being a saver and having saved for 10 years to be able to do that, I did not feel good about that. Never seen the balance in your bank account go negative, never go down. You don't ever want that. You want to set a number and then like, hey, it's going to stay here and go up, not come back down. And so I started reading a lot taking a lot of walks and praying and listening to podcasts, all these different books. If you wanna find a genre of books that's really interesting, like finding your identity or finding your purpose or what you should be doing with your life, there's a million of them. And I've read probably all of them and none of them helped. (laughs) Like, If anything, it now, not only was I unemployed, now I was like depressed because I was like, why don't I know what I should be doing? Like it was not a good recipe. You know, you can only take so many walks and you can only sit around and read for so many hours before you, you really start to get bored. And I think I had a mindset issue. I remember at that point, I would meet with local people that were much wiser and been around a lot longer. And they'd be like, so what's your plan? I'm like, well, I want to start some kind of business that I don't have to work out very many hours, will pay me more than I was making before, and then I can go just like have fun the rest of the time. And they'd all look at me like, yeah, OK, good luck with that. And I didn't realize it at the time how wrong that sounded. It wasn't until I was reading an article in Christianity Today, and this guy was talking, he was an executive coach and was talking about people finding their purpose and whatnot. And I was really moved by what he wrote. So I sent him an email and I'm like, hey, would you be willing to talk to me for like 15 minutes? And he's like, sure. So we chatted. And he said, you know, James, I told him my plan. You know, I'm just going to work only a few hours a week. And he's like, you know, James, we were made to work. We aren't made to sit around. Like We were actually, from the very beginning, made to work. And I'm like, hold on a second. Maybe he's right. And now, having three businesses and loving waking up each day and being able to spend an entire day doing what I enjoyed doing I agree 100% that's the wrong recipe to try to work less, like very, very little. The right recipe is to find what you actually enjoy and do that and then create balance in your life from it. More of what you
0: love and less of what you don't, right? But along the way, you have to trudge through quite a few of the things maybe you don't like to do to get there, right? To get that chance. Yeah, I had to start saying yes, basically.
1: I had to stop sitting and reading and taking walks and I had to actually start saying yes to some opportunities, even if they maybe weren't perfect, because I think it's a lot easier to find where you're going when your feet are actually moving than if you're just stationary. And I was stationary. I was reading and developing myself and I was giving myself some rest, some much needed rest that I needed, but I wasn't moving.
0: And it's really hard to move anything that is stationary. Yeah. It's like starting from a standstill It's a lot harder to get going, but if you're already kind of moving, it's a lot easier to move and a lot easier to pivot. Exactly. Yeah. So I started saying yes to just various opportunities, even if
1: they were small. And the things that I enjoyed and that lit me up, I said yes to more of those opportunities and the things that were really draining. I just kind of said no. And I used that as my barometer to figure out where I was going. But actually, what really helped me, there was a trick that I eventually discovered to finding kind of your passions or your purpose. And it was so simple that it would have never been published in a book because it would have only taken two pages to describe it. And it was just remember what you like to do when you were a kid. And when maybe you're from eight to 12 years old, before you had to keep up with the Joneses, before you had to impress anyone, before you really felt like, It mattered what you were doing. Whatever you liked to do then is probably an indicator of what you like to do as an adult. And when I kind of went through that exercise, I sent messages to my childhood friends. I sent messages to my family, and I was like, "Hey, what was I like at that age? What did I like to do?" And they were telling me all these things. Oh, I like to do computer programming. I had a internet radio station. I climbed trees and played street hockey and played games all the time. And I looked around, and I wasn't doing any of that as an adult. It was completely gone. And so I started just doing some of those activities and was getting really excited
0: again. And it was so simple. There's a lot of truth to that, just having fun again, right? Because when you're growing up, nothing stops you from having fun and enjoying life, and so it's the same thing now. It's like, okay, if we start feeling you know, as men, sometimes we feel guilty, I think. We feel like, okay, we need to provide in a certain way for our families or we need to keep this focus, right? And we forget that you can provide well for your family and you can have a focus and accomplish great things while also living a great life and having fun along the way. There's a reason there's all these
1: cliches in our culture where you see this person who's an executive and they've got all the money in the world, an amazing job. They're flying around and private planes and they've got a boat and then they lose their family or you hear of an athlete and they're at the top of their game and they finish playing and they're broke. They go through bankruptcy or all these different examples of people who haven't made in one area and then are way below the curve in another to a point where it actually brings them down and destroys everything they built in the other side. And it's so common. It's everywhere. And I think when we're in touch with who we were as kids, it's just so much easier to just actually find true joy and just stop doing things just because we're just doing them
0: because it's a habit. Great thoughts. Well, well James, what else is getting you excited right now in your business or your life? What's getting you excited? I think right now one
1: thing is I am in process of growing two different businesses, as you mentioned in the intro. One is an Amazon marketing agency where I help natural products brands sell more on Amazon. And it's a passion area for me because my wife and I are very into natural health and smaller companies that are creating really cool products. And so we get to find these companies and then help them sell more on Amazon. And the other business kind of happened by accident just by saying yes. It's helping authors actually get their books written, published, and marketed. And it's just really neat, both of these businesses, because I'm meeting all sorts of different people from all walks of life, and I'm able to just lean into things that I love to do. I love natural products. I love selling. I love marketing. And I love reading books. And to me, the steps that I typically give these business owners are so clear and so simple and so easy and so I know that I'm on the right track. So I'm really excited about that. That's in the career bucket. I talk a lot about buckets, and I've kind of found out that there's kind of seven different buckets that almost everything we do can fall into. And I try really
0: hard not to just stick to one of those. I love it. Tell us more. Where did this come from with the different buckets and, and how that works? Is this, I mean, it sounds like that's your way of, Figuring out your balance in life, right? Whatever that means, right? Yes.
1: Yeah, some people call it buckets. Some people call it spokes on a wheel. There's lots of different ways to put this. And I've seen a lot of different versions of it. Mine is kind of a creation, a Frankenstein of my own. I read Arnold Schwarzenegger's book, Total Recall, and not a book that you would think you would learn goal setting and dreaming and ambition from he has done some amazing things and it was always deliberate. He would carry around these index cards, write down goals on them and put them in his pocket, take them around and then he would make those things happen. He was deliberate about it. And I loved how he could sit down at the beginning of the year and say, I want to accomplish X, Y and Z this year and then figure out what's the first step for X, what's the first step for Y and what's the first step for Z and then he would go and do that. And then the other place I got inspiration for this was from Zig Ziglar actually. He had something called The Wheel of Life and he's got a couple books about it. And I read that and I read Total Recall by Arnold Schwarzenegger and I'm like, okay, these are both really great. And I formed sort of my own version of it. And this started maybe three or maybe four years ago. It was literally just started by I had a piece of paper and I wrote these seven categories or buckets or spokes down, which is mind, body, spirit, family, friends and community, career, and financial. I wrote those seven things down and I said, in 20 years, what do I want my life to look like in all seven of these categories? I wrote down crazy stuff. Like in career, I was like, oh, I want to be an author and I want to have a podcast. I want to be a speaker and I want to be a coach. I was doing none of those things. I had never written an article. I didn't have my podcast that I have now. I'd never done any speaking outside of in my, my businesses. And I was basically starting from scratch. And that was sort of the, the way each of those buckets were. It's like, hey, 20 years is far enough out that there's no way that you can start planning how you're gonna achieve that. So you can just sit there and dream. Like 20 years is so far out that it's like, what's the craziest thing that would get me really excited if in 20 years I achieved it? So my wife and I sat down and we went through each of these different categories and wrote a couple things down. One of them, as hilarious as this is, in family, we wrote down, get married. We were just dating at the time. (laughs) So now we've been married two years. That's just, you could put anything down that you want,
0: then you start following the process to actually have them come true. I mean, there is something amazing about taking the time to determine who you want your future self to be, who you want to become, and then doing those things that will get you there today. There's a lot to that. And I love, once again, Zig Ziglar. He's one of the the good classic ones that a lot of us hear about, that he has influenced a lot of people in this world. And... All because he set his mind to it and made it happen. A lot of wonderful things. He's
1: quite a motivation. And his books are are full of stories. And I think he would be the first to tell you he was just an ordinary guy. And that he had no special skills or luck or anything bestowed upon him. Except maybe the gift of storytelling and paying attention to people around him. And maybe not quitting. He wasn't a quitter. He would see it through. And a lot of those guys, like Dave Ramsey and some of those other folks from that era, they just didn't quit. They just kept working and working and working at what they were doing. And just like with my two businesses or three businesses and with my podcast and my writing, I know that if in a year not much has happened yet, that's okay because this is a 20-year plan. This is a long game. I'm not here for a get-rich-quick or overnight success it doesn't happen. And through my author business, I've worked with a lot of authors now who are those household names, who are New York Times bestselling authors that people have heard of. And they all worked hard for 10 plus years before anyone even knew who they were. I think with any goal, it doesn't even have to be a career goal. It could be anything. It's going to take a lot longer than you think to get there. But what's surprising is my wife and I just had what we call a family board meeting over the weekend. And it's where we kind of check in on all these goals and we pulled out our 20 year goals, we hadn't looked at them in maybe a year. We hadn't really looked at them. We have done a lot of those already, like a lot of those things we thought would take 20 years now, like four years later, we've already achieved a lot of them. So now I'm like, oh wow, we have to actually revisit some of these and
0: actually set the bar a little higher. <laughs> yeah, because from your current perspective, right? Or what was your perspective then? It looked impossible almost, right? Like, holy cow, this is so much. And from where you're sitting now, after so much progress, man, you can see where you can look even higher. So, and it gets you excited, like, "Hey, I actually achieved a lot in such a
1: short time, and what else could I do?" I think we actually wrote down now, like, to have children, and to you know, we added that to our list. We added a bunch of new things to the list that weren't on there before. And I'm like, hey, it worked for some of these. We might as well just put them down on paper. For some reason, pen and paper and looking at it really motivates me.
0: (laughs) I love it. Those goals, it's amazing what can happen. And even as it takes a lot of time, like for instance, you mentioned Dave Ramsey. I I think of a quote that he said once. He said, it took me over 20 years to become an overnight success. He said something like that, you know, because he was saying people were like, One day, nobody knew who he was, and then all of a sudden, it kind of clicked, and people knew who he was, and he was showing up on the radio, et cetera, and uh, and so he said something like that, and and that's always kind of stuck with me. It's made me think, you know, it's okay for it to take time to become that overnight success because the reality is you're discovering what you really want along the way. Like I imagine the goals you're thinking of now for your future 20 years out are going to be different than when you first did it four or five years ago. I think, yeah, for sure they change. And I think I've realized that
1: I don't have to be a household name and I don't have to have, you know, a hundred million dollars in the bank to be happy. We're happy right now with where we are today in this process. It's actually the pursuit of excellence and the improvement and the goal setting that I get the most joy of. Once I actually achieve the goal, I'm like, all right, what's next? Like it's this moment I'm in right now that's actually the best moment. And actually, I was at Dave Ramsey's new studio up in Franklin, Tennessee, and in his studio, he's got an old car and it's full of books in the trunk. And what people don't realize when they say someone like him is an overnight success is that he had to print these books himself, put them in the back of his car and drive place to place to place pitching and trying to get rid of them himself. And now when when they can release a book and it's a a bestseller overnight, people don't realize how much effort went into creating that. And I think he'd be the first to tell you. Yeah, that momentum is
0: not started quickly.
1: (laughs) And he would say, you wouldn't believe how many graves are on the path of people that wanted to do what I did,
0: but just quit too early and didn't see it through. Yeah, there's a lot of truth to that. Yeah, a lot of people will can get excited about something out of the gate. But losing steam is a real deal. <laughs> it's a real thing. Is that something you see with your coaching that you do as far as with your folks? What happens is, is we all get so impatient in our road to becoming who we want to become. And so we get frustrated. We think, gosh, I know I can do better. And we get frustrated with ourselves when we don't. We want to be wherever there is for us, right? This out there years. We know inherently that it should take years, but yet we get frustrated a few weeks later after we've started down a path, right? Whether that's health, whether that's our relationship with our wife or children, or whether that's building a business or whatever it might be, we all get so impatient. So I see that with my clients where they'll get impatient. That's where I come in is helping to provide perspective. And helping them actually see where they've come from, not getting so caught up in this, how far they have to go to be this ideal version of themselves, but to look at how far they've come. And that and that is hard. That's why I have a coach that helps me do the same thing, because I'm the one teaching people how to do this often, but I'm working on it right alongside them, because I'm in the same boat. I need to remember this all the time. And James, I imagine you're probably in a similar boat. <laughs> right anybody who's accomplished great things that's where you're at right (laughs) i have many days where
1: i call it depression that's not really what it is it's more just like um loss of energy temporarily (laughs) but i'm like oh i'm doing nothing i haven't achieved anything and i'm a failure and i beat myself up i'm so hard on myself and and i'll kind of wallow in that for a short time and then occasionally i'll look at my calendar or I'll look at my contacts or text messages on my phone or things, and I'll go, whoa, wait a second. Looking backwards at this last year, I didn't know this person or I didn't know that person or I didn't have this connection or I hadn't achieved that or I hadn't even tried this yet. And sometimes you can really wow yourself if you just kind of slow down and say, hey, what did I actually do in this last year? And it's probably a lot more than you're expecting. Now, I mean, just yesterday, I was really kicking myself at the end of the day. For some reason, I was just feeling really down and like I've been struggling. I hadn't published an episode on my podcast in two weeks because I don't have an editor right now. And so I've been editing them myself. And that adds another three or four hours per episode of time that I I just didn't allocate. And so I was like, man, I I have, I say I want to have this podcast. I love doing it. I've record, I've actually recorded the conversations. I just haven't edited them. I'm like, what is wrong with me? It took me a little bit to kind of go through that. And eventually I realized I've published 50 episodes in the last year and 90 minutes, typically each episode. When two years ago, I had no podcast. Two years ago, I was dreaming I would have a podcast and didn't know how to begin. Now I'm 50 episodes in like, it's okay. And I kind of gave myself permission that, you know, this is just another one of those growing pains. And I'll look back on it six months from now and go, oh, I missed two weeks. Okay, big deal. You know,
0: I've got 12 more weeks or 14 more weeks or whatever in the can now. It's funny how we're always willing to give that grace to other people. We can always see it, right? It's so much easier to see other people and see what they've done and how far they've come and how much they've grown. But We're so close to our own experience, naturally, because we're living it. We never escape it. So in the end, it's hard. The progress is so slow, we almost don't see it in ourselves unless we're incredibly intentional. So what do you do for yourself to help make sure that you do see the progress in yourself? So two things. I just read this story this morning,
1: and so I'm gonna share it. John Eldridge has this app called Pause, and there's a 30-day program going through I'm like on day four and right now he's talking about benevolent detachment which is basically you take your worries and you for a short time you just give them to God and say hey these are yours and then you can have some peace for a short time and build trust and the story I heard this morning so perfectly timing was this gentleman he was restoring a farmhouse and he hired a contractor a plumber to help him and they're going through working on the house and they're having all these problems. Things are much worse than they anticipated. They need so much more to do than what they thought they were going to. Pretty much the story of every home renovation ever, it's always way more than you expected. And they're just having a horrible day, he's about ready to go home, and his truck won't start, even worse. So the guy who owns the home says, I'll take you home. So he drives the plumber back to his house, and the plumber says, hey, do you wanna come inside and meet my family for a minute? And he was like really grumpy and grumbly. The plumber and the man says, "Yeah, sure, I'll, I'll come in." So the plumber's walk into the house, and as right before he walks into the door, he touches this tree that's right next to the house, and then walks into the house. Has a smile from ear to ear. It's completely present. Not a single complaint. Just radiating joy, and he's able to just ask his family what they did that day and be completely with them. And the guy was just blown away. He's like, what's going on here? This is like a completely 180 from the guy I just spent the entire day with. So when he's leaving, the plumber walks him out to his car and he says, hey, I gotta ask you, what was the deal with that tree thing? Because as soon as you touched that tree, it was like you were a completely different person. And the plumber just looks at him and said, oh, when I get home, I hang all my problems on that tree. And then I go inside because I don't want to bring them in to my family. And for some reason, The next day, when I go back to the tree to collect my problems, there's less of them than there were the night before. And the guy just, it blew his mind. And that was the benevolent detachment in real life. And for me, it's really just taking the time to get a few thousand feet higher than just my day and just look back at my week or my month or my year. And for me, I I do a lot on my calendar. So it's just, Sometimes just pulling up my calendar and actually looking back and trying to find those small wins because I do a horrible, horrible job of celebrating wins in the moment. I'm just like, all right, cool, that's done. Move on to the next thing. I never take the time to celebrate and going back and actually doing sort of a post-mortem and then analyzing a year has really helped me to really see all this stuff stacks up and it's, and it's pretty amazing when you
0: actually see it all. It's all about perspective, so many of those things that you just described. I love the tree example, how he says there's less problems when he comes back. And I like that. I like that because I believe that once we get a change of perspective, once we allow ourselves, going back to what you said, you know, you were saying one of the things that we need to do is just remember what we like to do and enjoy and just have fun like we did when we were young. It's funny, that's kind of what he was doing when he came back in the house. He was kind of saying, hey, I'm going to connect with my family again. I'm going to have fun again. And he just kind of left everything else on the tree. So when he came back out the next day, he actually was kind of a different person because he allowed himself to have fun again. And so he had a different perspective. And so some of the things he's worrying about that were getting him down just didn't matter anymore. Not that they weren't there if he wanted them, right? Some of those problems is how I'm seeing it. But that he they just didn't serve him anymore, right? So he's like, hey, they can rot next to the tree. (laughs) Think about how easy it is when you come home from a tough day
1: to kind of vomit that onto your family and then be creating bigger problems down the line because your family's not able to share their life with you. And a friend of mine, John Deloney, he actually works with Dave Ramsey, talks a lot about when people are... In the pool, and they're drowning, and a lifeguard jumps in to save them. It's very common that that person drowning will actually push that lifeguard under the water so they can breathe a little longer, and actually to try to drown the person who's saving them. And how often do we do that with our families, where we come in and we unload all of our work problems onto them, and now they're drowning with us, like. When instead, we should hang those things up outside the door and really be aware of what we're bringing into the house. Do they need to know all of the work gossip and drama and all these little things? Maybe they don't. Maybe the most healing thing we could have at the end of the day is just to be present and not bring all those problems home. My wife and I actually, before she quit her job last fall, she was a nursing home administrator of a 105 bed senior living nursing home and memory care and very stressful, very hard job.
0: James, you probably don't know this, but that's actually my background in the past. No way. Is that world as a nursing home administrator. I did not know that. Yeah. So so some people on the show have, have heard me share some stories and things of the past of leading teams and skilled nursing facilities and rehabilitation centers. And I'll let you continue with your story But yeah, I I can already start seeing where you're going with this because it's like, oh, I know this world. so We'll have to talk more about
1: that. We will. Because we're still in like therapy from it, basically. (laughs) It's a tough world. And so we created the safe space on our screened-in porch. In the South, we all have screened-in porches. The Northerners are missing out. And she would come home. I was working from home. And I'd be down on the porch And oftentimes, I'd have a glass of wine and some kind of snack. And we would go through that process of debriefing the day and helping her to lay the bricks or the the problems on the tree. And then when we went upstairs into the house, that was it. We weren't going to talk about that anymore. It was now time to be present and to dream and to do other things. We didn't let that impossibly stressful and difficult job Lead into our entire life because we would have drowned
0: yeah it's a heavy it's a heavy world i have so much respect for that world and for for so many people that work in the healthcare of others it's a trying thing so many regulations so so many requirements long hours and and working with people that are honestly often at the worst times of their lives and uh, you get these amazing people that go there every day and help brighten these people's days that are, are having tough times. And it wears on you. And it wears on the people. And it's such a wonderful thing, what, you, what you're saying, is help to leave some of those problems at the door. And like you're saying, you can come back and get them the next day if you need. But otherwise, go up and live life. Uh, so that's a that's a great thing. Great advice. Yeah, she did an excellent job. And actually,
1: all after high school, all through college, she was working as a caregiver and her degree was in healthcare administration so she was working actually doing the labor and then was a memory care director then she was an assisted living director then she was running an entire sniff and uh, memory care and assisted living facility and she had done basically every job there and she was not an administrator she was a lover of the people that's what got her into it And that makes it even harder because as you said, some of these people are, they're going to die and you're gonna be the one to see them every single day. Their family sees them maybe once a month a lot of times and you become their family. And it's especially over the last two years when she was working with lockdowns and face shields and face masks and all these protocols, family wasn't even permitted to come in the building. She was the family and it was crazy. <laughs> we can't we can't do what we did again to these folks that are in these facilities, the employees and the, the residents. Like we basically just took 2 years of their life and closed it down. So, it's
0: really sad. Yeah, there there've been a lot of trying times over the last uh, few years and a lot of industries and uh, and specifically in healthcare. That's an amazing thing that sounds like you guys have been able to move to a different part of life now. It sounds like, is she working with you or is she working on other another business? She's working at, with the family businesses now. So
1: the companies grew to where last fall, we made a hard choice of her kind of leaving that and being able to be home and work with our family businesses. And at that point, I interviewed a whole bunch of people that had worked with their spouses. I was like, hey, is this on my podcast? I'm like, is this a crazy idea? And I found all the people that actually said, hey, there's no one better to work with than your partner because there's so many people that tell the opposite story, like don't ever work with your partner, it's a sure way to end your marriage. But it has been nothing more than a blessing to be able to work side by side with the person I love and cherish and trust more than anyone on this planet. And she's got some ideas of her own that she's working on additional businesses and it's just so much fun to just experiment and to do life side by side. It's always, I know most people have to do it, but it's such a blessing to not leave for eight hours or 10 hours, five days a week and only see your spouse in the morning and the evening. I just feel like we were meant to see each other more than that.
0: Such a blessing that you're able to do that because there are, there are so many that that aren't. And that's maybe the one blessing that, or one of the blessings that came out of the, the pandemic is there are a lot more people that have the chance to work at home than I I would guess ever in the, you know, in much of the history of the world. I mean, before, I guess people working on farms or things in the past, everyone was home. But short of that, this has been an unprecedented time in in our modern history. So it's, it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing for the most part. In 2016,
1: when I started working remote, I didn't really know anyone else that was doing it. Now, there's so many people in industries you would have never thought could be working remote. And I'm still trying to figure it out because being a leader and of people, like I love to lead teams. I love to coach. I love to develop people and I love to have vision and help achieve things as a group. I'm really struggling to figure out how to manage remote teams. Like I haven't quite got a grasp of it. I don't know if I ever will. I don't know as I need to hire people for full time positions. If I want them to be remote, I want to see them because I just haven't figured it out. And I know there are people that are figuring it out, but that's going to be our next big challenge is how do you inspire and develop and nourish and grow your organization when you don't really see these people very often?
0: (laughs) Yeah. You know, they always say the key to all of these things with leadership and leading people. It's all communication, right? I think what we're just learning now even more and more is how to more effectively communicate Across distance, and you know, we have all these different tools and video and different ways that we can help connect with people, but it takes a lot of intentionality and a lot of focus to not lose people along the way. I think it actually probably made me
1: realize some weaknesses in my own leadership ability on why do I need to be over their shoulder watching them complete that work to know that it's done. Like, I should have other ways to measure performance and indicators of performance than if they showed up and punched the clock and punched out. I think it's challenging those types of thoughts. And I do wonder when you see folks like Elon Musk with Tesla saying, you got to get into a building and you got to be around people. I think we always have these kind of pendulums, like we've swung the pendulum so far that everyone's now remote. And we're like, oh no. And Elon actually even said in his letter, he's like, it's fine for some companies that aren't doing anything great and aren't doing anything new and aren't challenging the status quo to be completely remote. But we are trying to do that, and so you need to be together to have that mind share and to really push each other. And so I think we're going to see kind of that pendulum come back the other way, and it'll be interesting to see what leaders are developed from this because I would never go back to a full-time building where I was away from the home and so if I wouldn't, how could I expect everyone working for me to not want
0: that freedom and flexibility too? So I don't know. I'm still figuring it out. <laughs> yeah, I think the hybrid roles that are happening more and more now are, are probably just going to become more and more the norm where people will have an opportunity to work part at home, part at work, get the connection with people, but then also have some of the freedom at home. Yeah, it's a challenge as a leader. I know prior to the pandemic, I rarely had anyone. That worked from home. I mean, it was it was a more way more rare thing, whereas now it's much more common. Yeah, so I'm in the same boat, trying to learn how to be a great leader to people that are remote. It's it's difficult. And I cherished those water cooler
1: moments where there was interdepartment communication, and you'd get an IT person chatting with a salesperson in the break room. And the salesperson will say, "Oh, I get so frustrated with this." And the IT person will be like, "Oh, I didn't know that was a problem. I could fix that for you." And they never were even communicating in any other way. And yeah, now it's like, "Give me ten minutes." Yeah, give me ten minutes. I'll do right that. And they're,
0: and they're thinking it's an insurmountable problem, right? <laughs> exactly. And I
1: think that's one of the big things missing in remote work. But there are ways to create those types of conversations. You just, like we said at the beginning of our, this conversation, you have to be deliberate it's not going to happen by accident anymore. Leaders like myself allowed that to happen by accident because we had break rooms and people had to get ready to leave for their shift and leave their shift and all of that. So it was an accident that that happened. Now we have to actually create it as a leader. And so I'm really interested to see how all this
0: happens. Yeah, it'll be an interesting world. See where things go. Well, I love it. James, this has been a great conversation. I loved the direction we've went. And as we kind of start wrapping things up, I really would love to know what would be your top action step that you'd have for my listeners, something that they could do that would help them in their work or their life? I would say to
1: do exactly that exercise that I mentioned earlier of sitting down and remembering what you liked to do when you were a child. And if you can't remember... Then one, that shows that you probably aren't doing those things, but two, it just means, hey, get in touch with the people from that period of your life, whether it be your siblings or parents or friends or teachers or whomever was around you, and just ask them to remind you and let their answer surprise you. And then write them down on a piece of paper, all those things, whether it's climbing trees or writing fiction or dancing or shooting archery or juggling or whatever it was that you loved, write it down. Look at that list and ask yourself how long has it been since you did those things, and then start to do them, and then watch as you start to light up and reconnect with who you were, and then find ways to introduce more of that into your day each day, and just see how all the people around
0: you are, are getting excited too. Great advice, I love it. Well, James, where can people connect with you if they want to learn more about about your show or what you do? So I'm on
1: Instagram and Twitter. It's at James Quandall and dispel my Norwegian name. It's Q U A N D A H L. Or you can just go to Quandall.com or look up the James Quandall show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We have similar conversations as on this show. And actually, it's funny, Clint doesn't know this, but originally my podcast was going to be called These Wise Men. And it was going to be a leadership podcast for businessmen who were winning in business, but also wanted to win at home. And I was proceeding under that premise at first. And then I st- kept getting all these emails, but they were always from women. I was like, huh, okay, <laughs> maybe I need to branch out on my show. So I just named it the James Quandall Show. Still have the same idea of helping people to build
0: the life of their dreams. And that's my passion. Wonderful. Well, we'll put links to all those places in the show notes so you can go and connect with James as well. Well, James, thank you so much for being on the show today.
1: Thank you. This was really fun. I can't
0: wait to chat with you some more. I love it. Well, thank you. And for all of you out there listening, now it is your time to go and be the unrivaled man in your life. Thanks for joining me on this week's episode of the Unrivaled Man Podcast. I'm Clint Hoops. And if this show has impacted you, please share it with a friend or leave a review on Apple Podcasts.